please turn your Bibles uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're taking a little bit of a break from our time in 1 John as we uh, spend some time thanking God for his faithfulness to our church over the last year and considering some lessons that he would have for us. We're going to continue our time, by the way, as you turn to 2 Corinthians 12. If, if you don't have a Bible, there's an, an app you can download on your phone even right now, the Version Bible. There's uh, opportunities to find our service on live events, and you can ask questions and turn in prayer requests. We'd love to be able to connect with you and love to be able to pray with you uh, even, even this week. And so there's that opportunity there if you need a Bible to follow along with. There's also Bibles on the tables as you leave if you'd like to, to grab one of those. But uh, as I said, it's a time of thankfulness this morning, and as you turn to 2 Corinthians 12, it's going to be a time of, of thankfulness next week as well. We have our Feast of Thanks. Last year, uh, we weren't able to uh, celebrate our Feast of Thanks, and so I'm really hungry still. Uh, next week, though, we're going to uh, celebrate our, our Feast of Thanks, and there's information in your bulletins about how you can be involved. It'll be after second service in the banquet halls across the hallway next week. And so if you're a family, I think you bring two dishes to share. And if you're a couple or a single person, you'll just bring uh, one dish. But it needs to be really good to kind of make up for the disparity there. Um, also, um, for those of you who are interested in becoming members, there's going to be a membership class Saturday, I believe it is. Dave Robinson will be leading that this Saturday. And there's information in uh, your, your bulletin about that or if you just want to find out more about the church, and uh, that's going to be Saturday. And again, directions to all that is in your bulletin. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I encourage you to, to make sure you're there. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 10, and uh, we're also going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning, and so I encourage you to be having your hearts prepared for that. In 2 Corinthians, Paul has just been talking about the greatness of a revelation that he received from God, through Christ. And so, as he talks about that, the greatness of the revelation, he, in verse 7, talks about something that God had to do because of the greatness of that revelation. We're going to read about that. And if you're able to, if you'd stand in honor of God as we read his word together. 2 Corinthians, chapter 12. Verses 7 through 12, Paul has just mentioned this amazing revelation that he received, and then he says this in verse 7. So, to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word this morning. Uh, let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for our opportunity to together and to think about you, to understand you more. We pray that our hearts would be very open to your word this morning, that your Holy Spirit would work through it and, and change us as a result. We 
We pray for those uh, who are suffering, who are going through difficult times right now. We, we pray that uh, they'd be encouraged as they see your plan in their lives. And we pray for those who do not have a relationship with you, that you'd give them that desire to know you, to be in fellowship with you through faith in your son, Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen. On November 17th, 2013, a year ago tomorrow, a tornado hit our community a little bit before 11 a.m. Now, almost a year later, there are things about God that we as individuals, we as a church, we as a community know that we would not have known otherwise. There are aspects of, of God and his character and his attributes that, that we know more deeply this morning than we knew almost a year ago. And so we're very thankful to God this morning, aren't we? For what he's done in our lives and the life of our church and the life of our community as, as a result of the tornado. On November 17th, we had our, our first service, and the, the, the singing went great. The message, someone asked me a week ago, a half ago, what, was the, what did you preach? I said, I don't know. It, it was good. I remember that. but No, it was, it was the gospel. I looked it up. The gospel to David. That's what we taught. First service. And so first service goes, goes well, and then there's a second service starts, and there's the, again, singing through worship, went, or worship through singing went great, and, and as uh, a little bit before 11, I'm, we're kind of the same setup as we are this morning, the high school was going to do their, their play, so the pit was there, and um, I was hiding off stage, kind of looking, peeking behind that, that tree there, and a little nervous, and the worship team was, was right here, they're singing, they've got their, their microphones, they're singing, the gospel was promised, and they come to that part where it says, his name is Jesus, and, and they're singing, and and it's, it's beautiful, and then all of a sudden it stops. And I, I hear Eric's voice is running sound that morning, and, and it's running sound this morning, too. Uh, we're telling him, be careful. Um, I hear Eric's voice say, you need to, we need to leave the theater. Uh, please, you know, kind of exit orderly, and there's a weather event, and we need to take shelter. And, and I, I remember over there thinking, uh, no one's asked me about this. <laughs> I've got a really good message. And people are leaving the room and there's nothing I can do to stop it. And so I, you know, I walk out from here and I kind of walk down out the side and, and I'm thinking, uh, all right, this is going to be over quickly and I'm getting back there and I'm not cutting a minute out of my message. Okay. The whole thing. And I, we're walking out and I'm, I'm apologizing to new visitors and say, hey, I'm sorry, uh, we don't do these things every week. Uh, but it's out of my control. The weather service has us back in these locker rooms and stuff for 20 minutes. And then when it's about to be all clear, they give us another 20 minutes. And so it's 40 minutes there in, in, in the back. That's like half a sermon. <laughs> Nothing I can do. And, and then we start to kind of get little glimpses as to how severe the event had been. A couple comes in, and, and, and they come to five points. They say, yeah, there's, there's like lumber blowing out all over the road. And I think, wow, those are some really strong winds. 
the all clear is given, and, and many of us, many of you were, many of you were there, right? And you, you begin to leave. Some of you get in your cars and, and, and go. And and uh, one of the guys in our, our church, had, he he leaves. He, he lives just right around the corner here. He comes back and and he says, uh, "My house is gone, and my son was in it." And and I can remember thinking. Uh, we're going to be doing a, a funeral this week. And what are we going to, to, you know, it's my friend. But at the same time, I'm thinking, well, wow, one house destroyed, and, and what are the odds it would be a, a person from our church? And I still had no concept of the amount of devastation, and then more people kind of start to pour into five points, and and we're hearing more and more about what's going on, and, and like, and I'm thinking, well, it's a whole block or something was destroyed. That's amazing. And, and all of this just is out of my control, right? And maybe you felt the same way. People are coming into the community center. There, there's nothing, there, there's things we can kind of do, but at the same time, so many events are outside of our control, and there's just this feeling of helplessness. And that feeling of helplessness continues. It, it continues into the afternoon when I, when I walk out of here for the first time hours later, and I, I just look at Kingsbury and, and just look up and down the street and think, oh my goodness, it's just gone, and there's nothing I can do to, to fix this right now. That evening, whenever we, we finally leave Five Points, I'm with Hannah and Austin, and we, we can't even drive our car to our home two and a half miles away. I have to leave my car with, with a friend, and we try to walk up Main Street to try to get across 24 so Whitney can, and we can't even do that. A police officer has to help us get across 24 absolute helplessness we can't get the electricity on we can't uh, get in and out of town he's like just over and over again and, and maybe you felt the same way we were confronted with our absolute weakness our helplessness i was talking with with someone last night and a couple of us were, were talking and, and and she shared and, and some other people shared you know just this feeling of there's nothing i can do to pr- protect my kids how am I going to get food for my kids tomorrow? What, what about the fuel? I mean, just a feeling of absolute weakness. Now, here's the deal, right? The tornado didn't cause us to be weak. What the tornado did is reveal weakness that was already there. You see, we had kind of this illusion of security, this illusion of power and strength before the tornado. A tornado comes, some sort of crisis comes into a person's life, and weakness is revealed, weakness that has always been there. And, and here's what I fear is happening, perhaps to our community even a year later, is that we're beginning to create for ourselves a, an illusion of, of power again. An illusion of strength. An illusion of self-sufficiency. And I believe that if we walk away from a crisis like a tornado, believing that we are strong in and of ourselves, we've walked away with exactly the wrong message, the opposite message that God would have us learn. A friend asked me a few months after the tornado, he, he came to, to help with some of the 
clean up and he was, he's a pastor from another church in the area and he, he said hey so i'm seeing this washington strong sign everywhere what what exactly does that that mean i said well i, I think it means that that we're wanting to persevere that we're going to rebuild our community we're, you know we're going to rise in the sense of, of things are, are going to, to be rebuilt and and I think that's a positive way to interpret. Now, now, what I hope we don't mean, what I don't think we mean, what I think would be very foolish to mean, is that there's some sort of strength we have in and of ourselves, that there's some sort of physical ability in and of ourselves we have to, to do whatever it takes to be secure. Surely we're not foolish enough to believe that, right? I don't think so. Maybe you've done this too, but as I drive around or as I'm kind of running around and I see homes being rebuilt, I'm I stop sometimes and I just watch and I'm, I'm thanking God as I, as I see these homes being rebuilt and they seem so strong again, right? That's a, that's a thought that goes on through my mind as I see the homes rebuilt. I see the, sometimes they're pouring more concrete or they're putting up the frame or I see them putting up the siding or the bricks. I'm thinking, man, that looks like a strong house. But even as I think that, I, I think to myself, the last house that was there seemed kind of strong too. And in a couple of moments, it was completely destroyed. And that house that I'm seeing rebuilt, if, if another tornado came through at just the right time, the right place, the right way, that house is gone again. Here's what I hope we learn. We walk away confident from this disaster in our own strength. We, we've walked away with the exact opposite message God would have. Here, here's what I want us to think about this morning. A tornado reveals that we are weak and need a strong God. A tornado reveals to us that we are weak and we need a strong God. Our strength is not a strength that comes from within, but a strength that is given to us by God. And a tornado, a disaster, a crisis is a means of a loving God to reveal the weakness that is already inherent within us. A tornado reveals that we are weak and need a strong God. Here's what I want to do. I want to read through this passage. I want to ask two questions of the passage. And as we ask these, these two questions, we'll We'll then arrive at some gospel lessons from a tornado, okay? So here's here's the first question I want us to ask as we think about 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, and this idea that, that a tornado reveals that we are weak in need of a strong God. Here's the first question that I want us to ask. Why does God appoint affliction? Why does God appoint affliction? Why does he appoint difficult things to happen in our lives? And look at the text. Look at 2 Corinthians 12 here. And let me kind of give you a little bit of the context of what's taking place here as Paul writes 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The people in Corinth to whom Paul is writing were questioning some things about Paul and his ministry. There have been some people that have infiltrated the church there in Corinth and they're trying to undermine Paul and undermine his ministry. They're, they're attacking his character. They're saying, Paul doesn't really care about you. They're saying that, that the things that Paul teaches aren't correct. They're atta attacking his character and his motivation. They're attacking his credentials. He's not really qualified to be an apostle. He's not 
qualified to tell you the things of God. Uh, you know, he doesn't speak eloquently. They're attacking his abilities, his character, his ministry, his message. And so Paul, because he loves this church in Corinth, and because as, they, as the enemies attack him, they're actually attacking the gospel message that he proclaimed. And because he sees the need to defend the gospel for the sake of these people whom he loves so much, because of that, Paul is forced to do something that he finds very distasteful, something that he finds incredibly uncomfortable. Paul is forced to talk about himself. And you see in the chapters coming up to chapter 12, he'll say, man, I, I'm, I'm uncomfortable doing this. This is foolishness, but you've forced me to do it. And so he'll say, that, okay, here are my credentials as an apostle. See, this is silly that I'm having to brag like this, but if, but if this is going to affect the gospel message, then I'm, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to, embear, to, to endure some uncomfortable conversation for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of your spiritual health. So here's what I've been through. Here's what I know. Here's why I'm qualified to be an apostle. So he does that. As we come to chapter 12, Paul begins to talk about some revelations that he had received. And a, a, a special one even here. Paul, throughout his ministry, has, has had access to incredible revelation from God. We see, for example, in the book of Galatians, he, he talks about the greatness of his ministry and the, the coolness of this revelations that he's received. He says in verse 11, I'd have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I, I didn't receive this gospel that I preached from a man. I wasn't taught it. I, I didn't come up with it on my own. And someone else didn't say, hey, uh, let me tell you about this gospel. Paul says, I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He says much the same thing in Ephesians 3. He says, this mystery is made known to me by revelation. And so Paul says, I have this this gospel message that I preach to you, this message that a person is, is brought into relationship with God through placing their faith in Jesus Christ, this most essential of all messages, it wasn't something I made up, it wasn't something that someone else told me, it was given to me by a special revelation from God. And he talks about the incredible nature of one of these revelations here in verses 1 through 6. And then... He mentions a problem. He says, because, even though, this, even though this revelation's about God, because of how incredible this revelation was, there was a temptation I faced. Look at the text. What does he say? He says, to keep me from becoming conceited. And that word conceited there means to, to, to exalt oneself, to, to raise oneself up. He said, because of how greatness, how great this revelation was, there was this temptation that I had to exalt myself. And I, I'm sure every single one of us in this room can understand what Paul's saying here. There's not a single person in here who doesn't in some way struggle with this temptation to exalt oneself, right? When I'm in a conflict with, per, with a person, I, I really, I think I'm being honest here. When I'm in a conflict with a person, and, and let's say that the conflict is, is getting uh, intense, we have a disagreement. In that moment, as I'm having this, this disagreement, I become like utterly and thoroughly convinced that I'm right. It's astonishing me later to look back and, and think, what, what in the world? But I'm, like, I'm confident that 
Everything that is right and just in the world is on my side, and everything that is evil and wicked and perverse is on the other person's side. Like, I'm just kind of convinced of that in the moment. I'm so convinced that I'm right. What is that? That's pride. It's, it's exaltation. I, I'm, I'm so convinced of my own rightness. And that, that temptation to exalt ourselves exists within every one of our hearts, even exists here in Paul as he receives this revelation. So here's this temptation to kind of exalt himself, to inflate himself. And so what does he say God did to deal with it? He said, he says in verse 7, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, he says a thorn was given me in the flesh. You've ever heard that expression, a thorn in the flesh? That's where it comes from. Paul says, to keep me from becoming conceited, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. He describes it, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So now where does this thorn come from? Well, in one sense, he says it's a messenger of Satan, so the enemy is attacking him. But in another sense, he recognizes that it's, it's given to him by God. So God's sovereign, kind of like in the book of Job, Satan attacks Job, and yet God is sovereign over the situation. God appoints the suffering. The same thing is true for Paul. There's this, this the enemy has an attack line on Paul that, that God gives him access to. He said, well, what is the thorn in the flesh? And lots of theories have been given over the hundreds of years of church history, almost 2,000. And some have said, well, maybe it was Paul's depression, or maybe Paul was, was physically ill, and, and that's what he's referring to. I mean, he's talking about personal attacks that, 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 that entered into his life. Some have said maybe his, his eyesight, you know, several places in Scripture we read about Paul's poor eyesight, and so maybe there was some sort of affliction with his eyes that, that affected him in a special way. But the bottom line is what? We don't know exactly what it was. But I think that's, I think that's kind of cool. Because look at what Paul's focus is. Look at the text again. Paul's focus isn't on the nature of the affliction, but on its purpose. Paul says, okay, I got this thorn in the flesh, and he doesn't spend a lot of time dwelling on this. He doesn't say, and, and look how, remember how terrible it was that I went through this, and, and how unfair, and all that. He says, no, he gets to the purpose of it. It was a thorn in my flesh to keep me from becoming conceited. Paul understands that affliction is like a needle attacking the balloon of our pride. We want to exalt ourselves, we want to become conceited, we want to lift ourselves up, and affliction, Paul understands, is a needle in the hand of a loving, sovereign God that just pricks the surface of that balloon and pushes a little deeper and psh, pride is gone. Do you have need for humility? Paul did. Do you? What does a sovereign God, sovereign loving God, put in your life to serve as your thorn in the flesh? What affliction has a sovereign God appointed for you to go through to, to serve as like a little needle in a balloon pricking that 
that, that balloon of conceit. Maybe it's a health issue that you're going through. Maybe it's an interpersonal relationship. Maybe it's me. Maybe, I mean, it's, it's, maybe it's, it's a person sitting next to you. And if it is, don't nudge them right now. I mean, what, what is it that God has sovereignly placed in your life to, to serve as some sort of form of affliction? Maybe it's a situation at work. Maybe it's, it's, it's friends at school and something, you know, just bullying that's taking place. What is it that a sovereign God has, has placed in your life, appointed for you to go through, that serving as a, as a needle in the hand of a sovereign God to, to burst that, that bubble of self-conceit, believing that you've got everything together. Why does God appoint affliction? One of the reasons that God appoints affliction in the life of a believer, in any of our lives, is to cause us to recognize our own inability. In other words, God appoints affliction sometimes to create humility. God appoints affliction to create sometimes humility. I think it's worth asking the question, even as we think about the tornado this morning, does God want to humble our community? Did a loving, sovereign God appoint affliction for our community to cause us to become more humble? View affliction in your life rightly as a message from God as, as an instrument from God to create humility in your life when things are so obviously out of control the only thing that can happen is greater humility okay so here's the second question if the first question, why did God appoint affliction, and the answer is to make us humble, well, here's, here's a fair question, I think, for us to ask. Well, why does God want me to be humble? And I, I, said, I said I was going to get to verses 7 and 8. Let, let me tackle verse 8 here in this, the second question. So we think about why does God want us to be humble. There, there's three things that I think happen as humility is created within us. Here's, here's three fruits. The first thing is that it causes us to not rely upon ourselves. So as, as humility is created with my, my heart, what happens is that I have to turn from my self-sufficiency. I have to turn from myself. The second thing that has to happen is I, I cry out to God. So I, I turn from trusting in myself as humility is created within my heart. And I instead, I cry out to God for his deliverance. And then the third thing that happens in a heart that God is, is creating to be humble, the third thing that happens is that that person sees God's strength. So I, I turn from myself, I cry out to God, and I receive the blessing of seeing God's strength in my weakness. Let me walk through that in the passage and, and show you how we see that. So why does God want us to be humble? Well, first of all, it causes us to, to turn from ourselves, to, to see that we're not self-sufficient. Affliction is like this, this force that causes us to, to see how weak we actually are. And apart from affliction, sometimes we can't see that. Paul says here, look, um, as affliction took place, three times I pleaded out because I, I, had, I had nothing else to do. I, I recognized I, I couldn't deal with this situation on my own. Affliction, pain, suffering, difficulty resistance causes us to see how weak we are uh, a couple months ago i was here in the the gym and five points and was uh near the near the weights obviously weightlifting is not an idol in my life but sometimes 
When I, when I walk by, especially when I walk by the bench press, there's just something within me thinks, man, that would be cool if I could just sit down and just bench press a billion pounds, right? So I'm walking by the bench press and I'm thinking, there's no one really around right now. I, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to put a lot of weight on there and, and, and see if I can bench press it. Now, after first service, you know what everyone kept asking me? How much weight did you put on it? I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> but it seemed like a lot to me. So I, I, I went over to the, to the bench press, and I, I, uh, no one's around, so I, I put the weights on, on each end of the bench press, and I, I lay down, and I, I look up again, and I think, I shouldn't do this. I, I don't even know how much I can lift. And Oh, but no one, I'm, I'm, I, I didn't put the clips on the end of the little the bar there, so I I'm, I'm going for it. Don't do it. Do it. Don't do it. And I lay down. And I pick it up and I and I push it off the the little uh, bar there and I I, I lower it. I'm, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm doing. But apparently it's a lot easier to go down. <laughs> and I get to the bottom and I feel the resistance of that weight and I'm going up. I think I can do it. I can do it. I cannot do this in Colorado. And then I think no problem. I saw this coming. <laughs> I lean to one side. <laughs> it was a lot louder than I thought it would be. And I lean to the other side. <laughs> and I look up. Suddenly, it was like, bring a friend day to the gym. And everybody is looking. The trainer, are you okay? I think I sprained my pride. What, what happens, I now know how much weight I can't lift. Still not sure how much I can. Affliction is, is this means that God uses to, to, to push against, say, hey, you can't do this on your own. You're not this strong. The first thing, why does God want us to be humble? Because this, this affliction causes us to recognize, I'm, I'm not strong. I, I have to turn from myself. What's the second thing that it does? Uh, uh, humility causes us to cry out to God. Look at what Paul says here in verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. He, he begs God, he, please, 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 God, deal with this. Over and over again in Scripture, what do we see? We see people who are, who are brought to their knees, turn from their own self-sufficiency, and all they can do is cry out to God. Mark 1.40, a leper comes to Jesus. Now, what options are available to a leper? None. It's a death sentence. Leprosy was a death sentence in this day. And so a leper has no other options. A leper comes to Jesus, and, and what does he do? It says he implores him. He kneels before him and says, if you will, you can do this. You can make me clean. He has no power in and of himself. What does he have to do? He has to cry out to God. Mark 5, 23, Jairus comes to Jesus and he says, uh, my little daughter, my little daughter, she's at the point of death. Lay your hands on her that she may be made well and live. Mark 6, 56 says he came into villages and cities or the countryside. And people, what would they do? It says they would lay the sick in the marketplaces. And again, that word implore, beg, plead with him that they might touch just the fringe of his garment and as many as touched. 
it were made well. One more, Mark 8, 22. They came to Bethsaida and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him, begged him to touch him. Do you get the point? Why does God want us to be humble? It causes us to turn from ourselves and it causes us to, to say there's only one we can turn to. There's a cartoon show that has two characters, a brother and a sister, and, and the, the sister one night is watching her brother, and she sees her brother in a desperate situation praying, and, and she says, prayer, the last refuge of the scoundrel. And she's absolutely right. We cry out to God when we come to the end of ourselves and say, there, there's, there's nowhere else to turn. third thing then is God wants us to be humble because it causes us to turn from our own self-sufficiency. It causes us to cry out to him. And then as we do, we see his strength. Paul says this in verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He says, okay, in other words, Affliction is not a sign of God's displeasure always. Affliction can be a sign of God's grace. And, and Christ's answer to Paul here, I believe, is, is look, um, I'm not going to remove this affliction because it's, it's in that affliction, in that weakness, that my power is revealed. And Paul says, well, if that's the case, bring it. He says, in that case, I'm going to be content. Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, all of it. For when I'm weak, this is the conclusion he comes to. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And that strength that he has is not a strength that is inherent in himself, but a strength that comes only from God. Now, here are the gospel lessons I want us to derive from this passage. Number one, pride will kill us spiritually. James says in James 4, 6, but God gives more grace. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you and I believe that we can approach God on the basis of our own righteousness and say, God, look, here it is within me. Here's this great thing about me. Here's this, this clever thing about who I am, this, you know, how beautiful I am. That, that pride is going to kill us spiritually because what does Scripture tell us? That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Second thing that I think we learn as we reflect on the last year, God graciously puts affliction in our lives to destroy pride. So there's this pride, this spiritual pride that's going to kill us, and God puts affliction in our lives for the purpose of destroying pride. Then thirdly, what do we see? The third gospel lesson I think we learned from this is that as pride is destroyed, we understand our absolute spiritual inability. As pride is destroyed within our lives, we, we recognize we are absolutely unable in and of ourselves to help ourselves not just physically but spiritually as well. Fourthly, as we understand our spiritual inability, what, what do we have to do? We must place our faith in Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, 
He says, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. As we understand our spiritual abilities, pride is destroyed in our lives through affliction. What happens? We understand our spiritual inability, and we must place our faith in Jesus Christ alone. And maybe God has brought physical affliction in your life for the, the purposes of this morning. So you would be confronted with, with your lack of ability in and of yourself and would place your trust in Jesus Christ. As we understand our spiritual inability, we must place our faith in Christ. Paul says, or the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 6, he talks about repenting from dead works. In other words, there's these, there are these works that, that a person does in order to try to, to, to find justification for, from God. And he says we, we turn from dead works and we turn toward faith in Jesus Christ. It's like the illustration I've, I've used before, a, a person who's, who's drowning, maybe a person who finds themselves uh, suddenly falling into the water and, and maybe they're, they're holding on to some sort of heavy object like a, a big suitcase or something. I don't know why they're holding on to a suitcase, but they are. And they're, they're falling into the water and they're, they're, they're sinking and someone throws them a life preserver. And what do they do? They, they let go of one weight and, and grab on to life. This flotation device. As we think about our spiritual lives, affliction reveals that, hey, we have this weight. We're, we're, we're trusting ourselves and we're unable to save ourselves. We have to turn from that and place our faith in Jesus Christ. And finally, when we place our trust in Christ, we discover his strength. We discover his strength. In and of ourselves, we don't have what it takes. We're not strong. But in our weakness, the irony is, in our weakness, we find strength. If we respond to it rightly. The end of verse 10 Paul says, when I'm weak, I'm strong. You can put your own name in there, right? When Daniel is weak, then he's strong. When Washington is weak, then it is strong. When Central Illinois is weak, then Central Illinois is strong. Why? Not because we found out what we can take and did it. <laughs> Because when we respond rightly to affliction, we're humbled. When we're humbled, we recognize our inability. We cry out to God. We receive his strength. May God rightly use affliction. May we word that. God is always going to rightly use affliction. May you and I rightly respond the affliction that a sovereign God has placed in our lives. Let's not fail to learn the lessons from the tornado we must. Most importantly, that we are weak and we need a strong God. Let me pray for us. And as I pray, I'm going to ask the, the men who are helping uh, pass out the elements to, to come forward. Let's, let's pray and then we'll talk more about communion. Father, we thank you for the good news of your son Jesus. We thank you for the strength that we have through him. 
I pray this morning that if someone doesn't know you, that they, they place your, their faith in your son Jesus, receive eternal life through faith in his name. And I pray this in his name. Amen. I'm going to ask the men here in just a moment to distribute the elements for communion. You don't have to be a member of our church in order to participate in the Lord's Supper. We invite anyone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ to partake of the Lord's Supper with us. And as uh, they do so, I'd, I'd ask you to do two things. One, I'd ask you just to, to join with me as we, we think about Christ's death and our inability to save ourselves and what he did in order to bring us in a relationship with God. I just encourage you to be thankful to God for, afflic- for the affliction that Christ suffered to bring us in relationship with him and his father. And, and then the second thing I'd encourage you with, I would encourage you to ask God to show you the areas in your life that are the tools that a gracious God is using to conform you to the image of his son. And that you would pray that God would use, that you would respond rightly to the affliction that he is, is sovereignly placed in your life. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, my encouragement would be even now to ask for God's forgiveness, placing your faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. The men would pass the elements now. If you would take the bread from the first layer of the cup, the night he was betrayed, after he had given thanks, he broke the bread, and Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you would prepare to partake of the cup with me, the cup is the new covenant in Jesus' blood. 
it's by the shedding of Jesus' blood that we have the, the right to forgiveness. And as we think about our relationship with God, we recognize our blood being shed couldn't have done anything to bring us in a relationship with God. It's only through the blood of the perfect righteousness, the sacrifice of Jesus, that we have hope of relationship with God. The same way after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we proclaim the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ until he returns. Let's continue to thank God. Father, we thank you this morning, not only for your deliverance this last year from the tornado and not only for the the continuing fruit that we're seeing in our community. We, we thank you for all those things, but we, we thank you even more for the fate that you've, you've fate, saved us from that is a, a fate worse than physical death, a spiritual separation from you for eternity. We trust in your son Jesus. Our confidence is in him for eternal life. And Father, even as we sing this last song, may the words that we sing be true about our complete hope and trust being in your Son, Jesus, alone. No other, no other place in which we're placing our confidence. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.